Hello and welcome listeners to the Let's Talk About Greek podcast. If you've followed or listened to previous episodes, you'll know I like to offer hope by sharing my guest stories with you. You get to hear how they have navigated their own grief, which can be both helpful and healing, knowing you too can move forward after a loss. If this is your first time and you don't know me, I'm Antidute, your host and author of Grief's Abyss. And this is part of my mission to help demystify grief. Today, we're going to be speaking about all things grief with a dear friend and colleague, Sarah Hines. Sarah is passionate about creating grief-inclusive workspaces. She lives in Toronto with her husband and two children and their Doberman dog. Sarah truly is an advocate for normalizing grief in all areas. She has a wicked sense of humor and can cut through the bullshittery with both empathy and compassion. And I'd say, Sarah, those are your superpowers when it comes to working with such a heavy topic. Welcome, Sarah. I am so honored to be here with you and doing this work. That's amazing. Thank you. Today, we're going to be speaking about passion, somatic work, rituals. So please stay tuned to the end. Sarah, why don't we begin by welcoming grief into the room? Mm. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What a- are your thoughts on grief? What would you like to share? Thank you, first of all, because that's you don't often get that opportunity to just welcome it into the room. It's a beautiful way of putting it in. Thank you. You're welcome. We're so used to avoiding it, aren't we? Yeah. I, I think the first thing when it comes to grief that we need to hold on to is that welcome, right? That ability to really open up to the possibility that we loved something enough to feel thorough when it's gone. And perhaps the next step to that is really understanding how to carry it. So that I think to me is is what this work is all about, is opening people to the idea that grief is welcome in your life and should be welcomed into your life. And also uh, the skill set on how to carry it throughout your life. So that, that I think, is a good summary of how I would welcome grief. Yeah. Grief, yeah. Absolutely. And I love how you said learning the skill sets to be able to carry it. And I believe that's part of the issue that we all have and wanting to avoid it because who teaches us those skill sets that's it no one it it has to be self-taught in most scenarios because no one has a good sense of what to do with loss yeah or how to carry loss unless you've been through it and are able to again carry it um, and and then also teach teach your children how to do it. 
right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to cycle back and leave that to the end because I'd love you to be able to share. And I think that might be some um, insights that our listeners can get from you before we <laughs> leave the podcast. So I'm going to uh, park that thought. I love it. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. So it's interesting, Sarah. I'm beginning to discover that you either come into this field either through a personal death, as you mentioned, that's how we can gain the tools and experience of how to uh, work with it, or we've had an interest in dying and death very early on. Now, when I think about where my own interests began, and this is why I'm saying this, it was long before the death of my dad. It goes all the way back to my early 20s when I was a nurse, and I thought it was so sad that people died alone in our big Florence Nightingale wards. Now I'm (laughs) dating myself. But that's when my seed was planted. What was it for you? Because I think you mentioned you were a hospice volunteer. Yeah, that's that's really where it started. I think um, when I, I, I set off into hospice, there was obviously a curiosity that started well before that. I was in my um, early mid-20s when I really felt the pull to be there. And it started really, and now I'm dating myself, the AIDS pandemic. Or actually, that's an epidemic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Anyways, so yeah, it it was, right? So this idea that back then, AIDS was really unknown. We didn't didn't know how it was carried or transferred or, and frankly, being gay was not accepted quite with the same um, love that it is today. Mm -hmm. And a lot of men at the time were dying alone. Yeah. And it wasn't just alone from family, right? It wasn't just parents who had kind of, you know, disowned children. It was even inside the gay community. Mm. They There was a fear around it that if I get close, I'm going to get it. Yeah. So I can only imagine they'd be ostracizing them, wouldn't they? In a Double big loss. Yeah. yeah. So I started volunteering in homes of men that were dying of AIDS. And oh my gosh, what what an amazing, and I know this is going to sound maybe um, like I'm kind of, you know, brushing it in sugary syrup, <laughs> but it was <laughs> an amazing experience for me. Mm-hmm. It was eye-opening. It was beautiful. It was heartbreaking. And, it, and ultimately, it was an honor. It was an absolute honor to be able to be trusted enough to be there. And then I and then I moved into home hospice with children. Mm. And that was hard. It would be. Uh... Yeah. yeah, that was hard because I was also young, right? I didn't really have, I guess, the tenacity, you could say, mm-hmm. to, to withstand the ripples from that, those experiences. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was That tough. would be a lot, wouldn't it, for somebody so young? That's it. Right. And, you know, I have a bit of an activist heart. Right. So I would get into situations where I, you know, so a friend would come up and say, you know, their 70 year old grandmother died. 
And I'd be like, well, at least she wasn't four. Like I'd get this whole like hardened. And mm. I knew that moment I had to step away because I couldn't live life with holding that torch. Yeah. 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 So. And you Sorry. probably have learned uh, as you've gone through your grief work that that is something one does not say to anybody. <laughs> but is, I can see right? where you're coming from, that they'd had a chance at life, whereas the child was just starting. So that's, that's how you feel, right? Yeah. yeah, that's how you feel at the time. Right. You feel like there's an injustice inside of the world when. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And and having an advocate heart, I could imagine you charging on into that. Mm -hmm. Now, from that, did you continue with training or did your training into the death and dying world come later? Yeah, it had to come later. Um, It took me a while to kind of soothe that wound mm-hmm. um, I'll say and also I needed to grow up a little bit you know it I, I had to kind of get my um bearings about me and I and I did need to find ground for sure so yeah. I ended up doing a big huge career in sales and technology sales and software sales and but always seemed to be the one that ran towards the deathbed I was always the one that ran towards it. Always the one that, um, or I still am, uh, the <laughs> one that runs towards the deathbed, right? And 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 you know what calls you back? It calls you back every time, because uh, ultimately I couldn't see a greater honor, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I took some time. I decided to pick up some books. <laughs> it's really <laughs> how it began again. Yeah. And uh, especially when you spend uh, a career in technology and forward looking and, you know, a bit of a, a man eat man world, Absolutely. Uh, you kind of need to reconnect into things that, you know, are meaningful to you. Yeah. So I ended up reading and picking up Die Wise. Oh, so gosh. Stephen yeah. Jenkins work. <laughs> yeah. That tells you how old I am, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Really? I've read that. Damn, that's why we're good at this. <laughs> now, I it's uh, yeah. So I spent six months reading that book. Mm. It took me six months to read that book. And it's not an easy read. It is not. And if it is, you haven't read it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, now I've got my my digital copy and my tattered paper copy, and I've got all the tabs and the underlinings and everything like that that just sits in it. But uh, yeah, you'd read one line and you'd have to put it down and just kind of integrate it a little bit before yeah. going on to the next. So that that it took me a while to get through it. I can only imagine. I've spent a weekend with Stephen when he came here to Ottawa. And it's one of those events that I would say is mind blowing because you've got to go back and reflect because his words are chosen so carefully, aren't they? Mm. And they take you into a deeper aspect. So you really have to think about what it is he's saying. And he's certainly not glib and he doesn't shy away from 
the the scary parts that we may kind of want to gloss over, he takes you right into it. Because I think that he was a social worker, wasn't he, in, in Toronto? So he lived it. Yeah. I, it's, I find, like, I found my time with him to be um, an interesting opening for me. I liken it to kind of being, you know, pushed towards the fire a little bit. And being told to jump in and everything's going to be okay. Oh, my. Um, and maybe actually not even told everything's going to be okay, but to jump in anyways. Just and to trust. That's it. That you're going to, whatever comes out of it, is uh, going to be truth. Mm. And, and so that was, yeah, my time there. Because I understand you went on then from the book. He went on and did his training at Orphan Wisdom. Yeah. Is, is it a school or training? Well, he calls it a school. Okay. Um, I don't think he'd call it training, but, you know, I, I've, I think he calls it just a school and he calls the students scholars. So okay. of orphan wisdom, <laughs> not the same person you came in with, you came in as, that's for sure. Yeah. You say that with a smile on your face that you're not the same person (laughs) as you went in. In what ways did it change you, Sarah? I think the most interesting part, to be honest, Anne, is that you go in expecting to learn about death and grief and Mm -hmm. dying, but you actually come out learning. And and I'm going to caveat this by saying this was my experience. Yes. Okay. (laughs) All comes out with other with different things. but you come out more with this skill set of how to live um, or, or an understanding, maybe not the skill, but more of an understanding of how to live. And the hardest part is, is combining who you were going in mm. with learnings that you have in becoming the person you, you feel you need to be. Oh, my and, goodness. Yeah. So, yeah, that I think, and that that is experience is so different for every, everyone. It's pretty amazing, actually, considering that, you know, typically you go in and you do, like you said, a training um, and you learn a thing and you walk out learning how to do a thing. This Mm -hmm. is really um, an unraveling Mm. and and then a, um, and then you are honored as you leave, right, to, into the world to practice your new life unraveled. Um, oh my goodness. It almost sounds when you say unraveled, it, uh, you've got to learn a new identity. So you, it's almost like who you were releasing that, your understanding of who you were before you could move into who you needed or wanted to become. Yeah, for me, I feel like it was a, a moment where um, you had time to reflect on what's truly important to you and and how over the course of your life you can honor that and how you can take note and I and I think this was in his come of age book as well this idea of spells right how you can see spells and how in in our culture today and our society today and how do you actually build a relationship outside of spells or with spell 
Right. Okay. Now that's, I just want to interject there, the spells <laughs> word, you know, it sounds like we're now entering the world of magic, but that's not what he means at all, is it? Would you yeah. like to explain? Uh, well, there's this idea, there, it's not easy to explain. And so I, I'll start with, it's something quite simple, this idea, and, I'll, and I'm going to go back to what we know, right? This idea of our funeral practices in uh, North America specifically, and perhaps Western Europe, but this idea that we've got a little bit of an idea in our head of what a funeral should look like, and that that's the only way that, that, that that's the way that we do that. Right. Mm-hmm. We've got all a funeral director. You you embalm somebody, you go into a room, you cry, you walk away, and that is the end. That is your funeral rites. It's a bit of a spell. Oh, uh, that's, that's what you mean. Only, that's not the only thing that's possible. Mm. There are other ways of honoring that we can break through some of those ways to bring meaning back into our life. Um, we can do, you know, home funerals. We can do, you know, cremation. And we've got composting now. And we've got um, aquamation. We've got all these different ways of of celebrating life mm-hmm. that um, aren't the same as they used to be anymore. So there's been some spells that have been broken. And that's a very simple view of what I mean by spell. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a good example for a podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It almost sounds as if it's getting at the heart of your beliefs. This is what we've been taught for generation upon generation, that this is what you do at a time of a death. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost as if he's waking you up from a trance. I would say a little bit. I don't know if he's waking you up, except he's maybe he's just tuning your ear. Ah. Right. He's to, he, there's a tuning that's happening um, inside of the language people use. And this is why language is so important. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. They say all oh, the emotions of, of grief and I turn around and say, oh, no, it's a skill. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's easy to, to brush over the idea of it. But mm-hmm. when you actually hear it, when you tune your ear to that, what does that actually mean? Yes. Yeah. And how can you sit with those emotions? That's it. Okay. We'll go back to, um, you mentioned on rituals, which I'm hoping we're going to be discussing Mm -hmm. in a little bit uh, later. What were some of the things then that you were able to tap into that gave you a deeper understanding of of death and dying? I think it, it starts from being there and fumbling through it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. That we get caught up in this idea of perfect a little bit. And, you know, they they deserve a bigger casket. They deserve a bigger celebration. They deserve this. And I like taking a bit of a step back from that and just settling into the idea that what they deserve is your love. What they deserve is your hands. What they deserve is you. We get so caught up in the the showmanship mm. spell of what good looks like that we forget the part of what truly we want in our life. And it's love, right? Yeah. And this is the best way, uh, well, in my opinion, is yeah. 
sit down and fumble through it a little bit and know that even if I make mistakes or things don't look perfect, that those things done in the hands of my love are, are so much more meaningful than, you know, the upgraded casket. So that would be coming from the shoulds. You got it of life as opposed to how can I make this mean more to me and the family witnessing this, eh? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I know this is a big topic and not all people are fully aware of what it, what it encapsulates, but home funerals are a beautiful way Mm -hmm. of really understanding what that looks like, right? Bringing that to, that is ritual. That is ceremony. Um, You know, I think in, you know, if we needed an example, those are the really good examples. Um, And if I'm going to get philosophical about it, my love is ritual. My love is ceremony. So I feel like there's a pilgrimage back to self through ritual and ceremony. And for me, that happened inside of uh, being holding witness to and being part of home funerals. Mm, I love what you said there. Because when you think about a wedding, that's a celebration of a couple's love, isn't it? So why can't we have a funeral that embodies the love that you had for that person? That's it. I think like we we think of, you know, and and if we were actually to kind of like scale back from that, Mm -hmm. um, ceremony is actually the whole dating process right? The moment you go out to dinner for the first time is a bit of the invitation, right? And Mm. every time you date somebody and every time you go out or every time you wake up in the morning, looking at someone's face is an invitation to the next day, is an invitation to be together again. And then the event happens and you get married and, and now you're having a, a ceremony that, that basically honors all that you've done and all that you hope to be. And then you have the integration, which is, is marriage, which is actually the hardest part. part. (laughs) Right. The same is true around death and dying. Mm -hmm. We spend our whole life inviting each other to have this beautiful relationship with each other. And then Mm -hmm. we just get sick. And we have this big moment where we have to make a choice whether we are going to go forward together or not. And if we do choose to go back and, and be together and go forward together and integrate death into our life, we need to do it together and know that that's the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that analogy. I hadn't looked at it that way, but so true. It is an invitation. And then, as you said, marriage is the hard part. Yeah. And getting sick and dying, that's the hard part of that journey, isn't it? And being able to integrate that into your life. Integrating, right? Or birth, and Like, you know, mm -hmm. and I, let's admit it, like being pregnant is not easy. (laughs) (laughs) Not easy, right? But certainly raising children is much more difficult. (laughs) Right? It's sort of a preparation and initiation, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, the and initiation. Look at life that way. Yes. We're spending our whole life inside of invitation. Mm. And we're at the end integrating 
death into the way that we live. Gosh, your whole life is ceremony. It is, isn't it? And by doing that, it's saying that you're acknowledging and celebrating both birth and death rather than this fearsome thing that we all know is going to happen to us and we just keep pushing it away and putting it off until it happens. And then you have to deal with it. And it's in those moments that you're not prepared. You don't have the brain power to deal with planning a funeral or anything when you're going through grief, eh? That's it. And I and that's I think like some of the hardest things we have to do, we do under duress. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we fumble through it. Yeah. And we get through it, we stand up the other side and we go, that was hard. And eventually we say, eh, it wasn't that bad. Right. Eventually <laughs> we come to this. It wasn't that bad because we've experienced something harder. Exactly. And it's right. a little bit like going through childbirth. You've, this is it. I'm never having another one. And then two or three uh, births later. Oh, that wasn't so bad. So it's amazing how we forget. Yeah, no, carry on. I interrupted you. No, no, no. I, I, this is why I love spending time with you because <laughs> Um, I feel like there's this like, you know, and for some people, that's not true, right? For some people, that's simply not true. Gosh, uh, foundation and understanding and knowing of that, that is power way that I, um, I would never truly be able to encapsulate with words. But the idea that we can sit inside of ceremony and bring truth for whatever may come is really, I think, the the whole point of what we're doing. Well, it's all about love, isn't it? You got it. And we we forget that, don't we? Everything comes back to love or the absence of love. Yeah. It's how we carry it, right? Like if you you knew that, and I'm knocking on wood, if I knew my son was going to get hit by a car on his way to school today, I certainly would have not just yelled from my office, have a good day and love you. Mm. It would have been a lot different, right? Um, We don't go through our life thinking of endings because it's hard, right? But we do have an opportunity to be able to hold on just a little bit to the gift of what we've been given Mm. instead of the, the doomsday at the end, right? I I have a bit of a, a relationship with animism that it certainly isn't deep, but certainly important to me. Yet it's not deep yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> every day, you know, I wake up, I open my eyes, and I realize how lucky I am to be surrounded by what I've got. And there's that's ceremony. That's mm-hmm. right, ritual, right? Same idea, a little bit. And- it sounds as if you're talking about gratitude for sure for what you've got yeah and we forget about that don't we we do but we also I think we forget about it because it's overused too right the word gratitude right it Um, is yes overused for everything and I and I know that it that people get sick and tired of hearing it but they're hearing it because they haven't done 
Otherwise, they'd be appreciating the gratitude and and what it can actually bring into your life, isn't it? And I think that's going back to funerals when you're hearing the eulogies. You hearing stories about your loved one that you may never have heard before. And you can have gratitude in that share because that's going to fill you up with love, isn't it? Definitely. You know, I'm a, I'm an East Coaster. Uh, my family comes from East Coast Canada. And okay. my grandmother died. You know, we all traveled out and we had a very typical funeral um, because that's what a lot of people still do. But what was beautiful about it was the kitchen party after. Mm. The ability to sit down and hear the stories and share and and be able to be in her house hearing stories about her and um, knowing that you anytime you come back into that house, those same people are going to be there telling those same stories and you'll hear them all over again a million times over right? Mm. So that you can then be the one sitting there telling the story. And it's that gift of storytelling that I I don't think we honor enough inside of our life to be able to say, I will always remember. I will always bring myself back to this space Mm -hmm. um, through story. Well, it almost sounds as if it's comforting and, and, and familiar that when you start to recount them yourself, it's bringing you back to that moment of comfort and familiarity of being in your grandma's home. Being an East Coaster, it sounds very much like the Irish and potentially the Scottish. They would have what they termed wakes, and they always had a room called the parlour, and the person would... Be laid out there and children would be running around and to me that is how they normalized grief by having children running around having the families even having people pop in that didn't even know the person but they just wanted to support and I, I thought that was a beautiful way of, of honoring that life and being there for the families. That's it. I, you know, I, I, it's, you know, there's, it, there is audit, uh, Irish and Scottish roots there for sure. It's, it is the kitchen party, right? It is the yeah. music song that comes out still. It still comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's, you know, keening is another beautiful example, right? Of how to sing someone off, right? What a skill to know. Oh, absolutely. Because especially as grief can get stuck in the body, isn't it? And how just learning yourself how to keen, how you can bring that up. So you end up crying in tears. Now, I know my listeners are going to say, what the heck? Why would you want to do that? But isn't that cathartic and healing? And to do it in community. Yes. Right. And like, there's, there's something about random song and, and you can feel embarrassed by it. You can, cause there's always a first time, right. You can be embarrassed by it. You can be like a little turned off by it, but you cannot close your eyes in those moments and not feel it in Mm -hmm. your, you cannot, you, there is something that it does to you that uh, you will never forget. 
you'll net your body will never let you forget that because mm-hmm. there's there's a feeling that comes from that that you cannot describe with words and needs to just be that feeling yeah uh, mm-hmm. holistically needs to yeah. be that feeling and that's what meaning does that's what song does that's what community does mm. yeah and that's what I think the somatic work can actually help you as well can't it to release the emotions, because they do get stuck in the body, don't they? And I believe you've, uh, you're trained to do somatic work. Well, somatic parts work, which is a little bit different, not formally uh, a somatic practitioner, but Mm -hmm. I think if you spend enough time with people, you get a very good understanding of, of what you're looking for Mm. out of it. And you're also understanding a little bit more about how to to see movement affect grief as a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of ways that I've trained. I've trained in TRE, which is that tension release exercises that helps. You know, it's the body shaking. I don't know. If mm-hmm. you're- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've trained in that. I, I'm big into internal family systems. So understanding parts and um and the somatics of that specifically is quite interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um and when we think layer in grief into those types of systems where there's trauma and loss and and deep story, complex story that there's that we've ignored. Yes. Not only our own. Right. But our parents, if you can go back through our lineage, all of those burdens that we've ignored. Yes. How does it sit inside of us? And how do we sit inside of the release of some of that? And it's going to be different for everybody. Right. There's different complexities to that. It's really amazing to watch physical release happen and be integrated. Into, the, mm. into a life building skill around carrying grief. And so many people don't even recognize that they're even carrying grief, let alone from generations before, which epigenetics isn't, is now being able to, we're discovering that, that we can be born with a trauma or a behavior and we wonder what's this about and it doesn't even belong to us. No. And it, it's such an interesting way because we carry burdens. What we what we don't quite hold on to is the idea that we also carry heirlooms. Ah, right? We carry the burdens of our ancestors, but we also carry the heirlooms of our ancestors. Mm. And being able to sit in that dynamic, right? And actually pull ourselves out of it. And to look at it from the outside gives us a really good understanding of how much we're carrying that is ours and how much we are carrying that is somebody else's. And there's a reconciliation that happens inside of that a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Ritual and ceremony play beautifully inside of these these reckonings. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I, I love them. Yeah, You're passionate about uh, ceremony so, and ritual for sure, and uh, I think we forget about that being so caught up in the grief that we tend not to think what what meaning can I glean from this moment, and then look out 
at our ancestors and who they may have been to make us who we were. And here comes that word again, and have gratitude (laughs) and appreciation from what they went through to give you the life that you are now living and how resilient, how they made it through, not knowing anything of what we're talking about, yet somehow they were able to love, laugh, and cry as well, weren't they? Yeah. And I, and I, I think women really kind of latch on to this specifically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it feels like quite a bit of trauma, right? But a very good example is, you know, a uh, trauma that happened to your grandmother, right? Um, and let's just, let's just say my grandmother, for example, had a, had a sexual trauma, right? Yeah. That will show up in my mother as don't trust men, don't mm. do this, trust God only. And it and it shows up then in religion and it shows up in like and fear and it shows up in uh, abandonment of self. I grow up now and I have a daughter and I'm like, cover up. Don't like look over your shoulder. Don't take the alley late at night. Mm-hmm. Right. Like those are the types of ways that. And, and, and they seem harsh, but there's lessons inside of them that yeah. come from trauma. And thank God, because I don't let my daughter walk down the, the alley at, at, after five. Right? Yes. Yeah, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? When you look at it that way, it's going beyond the fear. It's looking at why, why that was said and why don't I trust? That's it. Right. So it's questioning it. The Holocaust, right? Ask anyone who are children of Holocaust survivors and ask with the grief and the burdens that they care. They are absolutely right. But they also have gifts inside, right? You are here. Look at the strength of those ancestors, Mm -hmm. right? There's so much lesson to be learned inside of these hard things that we often we often for we we forget them because the shame and grief is more important. Yes. It's more important to feel grief than it is to feel honored. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? I do want to really bring the conversation back. Cycling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A whirlwind here. Because you're passionate about creating grief inclusive workplaces. Yeah. And that is where our <laughs> journey began. That's yeah. how you found me. And I was honored to see you work with leaders. And I'd like to say that you worked the top level and we worked the bottom level up, met you in the middle. And it was a beautiful experience. Oh, I cannot imagine not doing this work without you. Like, oh, it, thank you. It was the best. It was the best. I don't, I don't know if you're coaching anymore or, but honestly, the best. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, I am indeed coaching <laughs> amongst many other Doing things. a sales pitch for you, Anne. <laughs> I can hear that. And I appreciate you. <laughs> so, you in your work with leaders and management, what is your first approach? How do you get them or what can they do to create work 
places where grief is welcomed in as we welcomed it in at the beginning of this. I, I feel like it's not easily done put on the leadership hat because the leadership hat it has been gifted to leaders because mm. of tenacity and strength and strategic um, goals or strategy making, negotiation skills, and leadership in a way of people leadership is also another piece. I And I found this even in the work that we did, the most important, I think, part of really kind of attaching to this idea of teaching leaders to be grief inclusive is the importance of what it means to their people. Mm. The importance of what it means for them developing this as a leadership skill. So they have to see the the validity. They need to be able to know that if they can, well, they can recall back to a time where an employee of theirs had died or, uh, and maybe even more simpler, an employee of theirs went on bereavement leave. Mm. You can, and somatically, it it causes a little anxiety even to think back. Like you remember sitting there going, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. To the point where you say, I don't know, this is not my thing. This is HR. So you actually push it off, right? HR then pushes it off. HR is like, nope, I'm uncomfortable. Nope, 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 nope. Uncomfortable EAP, right? <laughs> uh, assistance programs, right? Yes, yes. So everybody's pushing it off because it makes people uncomfortable. Mm. And so the first step is really making them comfortable with building a skill set around those particular moments and how do we actually meet somebody inside of their grief, inside of their bereavement leave? How do we actually support them mm-hmm. without carrying it? Yeah. Right? Because it's not my job. And I mean that in uh, with you know the greatest sense of compassion to carry somebody else's grief. No. You're doing right? them a disservice, aren't you, if you attempt it? Exactly. I'm do, not only doing them a disservice, I'm doing the work a disservice. I'm doing the rest of my team a disservice. I'm going home with all of it. And we haven't even talked about their story. Yeah. Right? The grief that they've gone through. So that's by building a skill set around how to meet somebody where they are with compassion versus empathy. Mm. So I I love empathy, but empathy can be dangerous because mm-hmm. we're carrying everything, right? And that, so I I I would I start with compassion. Um, let's just be compassionate, and that's where I typically start is around skill building, meeting people where they are, and building compassion. Yeah, because the danger of empathy is you get into the trenches with them which is a skill unto itself. And I think this is where so many nurses and doctors, well, the healthcare uh, got burnt out, didn't they? So compassion is a middle ground to be able to, to reach these people with. And those are the skills then is, is what it sounds like you're teaching them. Yeah, I think it's building it, right? Like, I, so for example, if someone goes on bereavement leave these days, and like, we won't even get into the policy of the whole thing because it's mm-hmm. quite but people have to travel now, right? We've lived in this global world. People have to travel to care for their dead. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and, and policy doesn't allow for that. Yeah. So how do we, how do we as leaders make 
good, compassionate decisions Mm. so that our employees can believe and feel trust with you. Mm. They know that their team has their back. So that they know that they, when they do decide to return to work, which is hard, which is hard, that there is a system in place that will allow them to come into the fold in a more gentle way. The, that's the important part of, of really focusing in on building mm-hmm. skill around bereavement leave. Rather, because right now, right now, like I said earlier, we're just passing it on, Right. And not only that, you're creating a culture of fear because if I share this with my manager or my HR person, am I going to lose my job? That's it. That's so it. how is that helpful for sure? Right. And how do you communicate it, right? Like, I don't know how many employees are like, I don't know, are we allowed to go to the funeral or not? Do we send flowers or not? This is their project. What do we do with it? How does that person come back to work? Do we Have we ever thought about that? Yeah. We often think, oh, we don't want to be a burden. Everybody else just do their work, yes. right? Yes. Well, that makes everyone kind of feel like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Carrying on all this work, especially right now with all those layoffs, right? We're seeing like everybody overwhelmed and overburdened and now having to take on a new project. We have someone coming back to pick up their project and feel like they're a stranger in their own home, Mm -hmm. right? Keeping bunny ears around home, like in their own workplace, they feel like a stranger. How can we use communication and compassion to just make that that process simple and full of trust. That's it. Yeah. It sounds quite simple to me, but it also, you know, seeing people push it off makes me believe that it's because it's not. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what you said about spells. It's what people believe. And I think that's the root. It's helping people understand their beliefs and how they're actually hurting themselves as well as their employees. It sounds like you have a huge task ahead of you, but I, knowing you, you're up for the challenge. (laughs) Advocate you. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I, to your point, right. it, It, you think it only goes one way, but it doesn't because you get into healthcare and you have leaders inside of healthcare that stay in touch with families six months, eight months later, right? They've become counselors yeah, right, to families and those types of things. So it's really like if most people live on the edges of this, they live either passing it off or carrying it. Mm. Really, how do you find trust and worthiness inside of those two things? Yeah. And I think that's the, the key to both of those extremes. Oh my goodness. Oh, Sarah, this is, has been, uh, I can, I can already see at least two or three more podcasts just yeah, from this you're, one. <laughs> you're, you're raring to go. Okay. <laughs> so every time I get a chance to talk to you. Oh, I know. Okay. I know. It's a shame you live so far away. So far away, but not really, eh? <laughs> jump on Zoom. We can Let's chat. Jump on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> So where can people find you, leaders? And are you coaching people in grief or mainly leaders how to work with their teams in grief? 
Yeah, both really, right? Because often the co- the team coaching um, leads to uh, personal coaching. It, mm-hmm. it always kind of cracks mm-hmm. something or uncracks. Mm. It cracks something <laughs> open. Is what I yeah. meant to say, right? Um, <laughs> that's a weird word, uncrack. Um, anyways, no. Uh, so the lodgeproject.com is our website. And um, yeah, that's that's the easiest place to find me. LinkedIn got the flag, the grief flag happening on LinkedIn. So between LinkedIn and uh, our website, those are pretty good places to find Those me. are where you would find you for sure. Yeah. Now, yeah. I promised the uh, listeners three things that you might share with them. Three things that will assist people on their grief journey. My first recommendation is always to go slow. The steps are heavier, so take them slower. Take your time with them. Figure out what's yours to carry. Mm, beautiful. That's a big one. And learn how to carry that. Those are my three things. This has been such a delight and a pleasure from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Well, listeners, that indeed is a wrap. Be sure to follow us by clicking on the link and you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And if you are feeling inspired, please leave a review. And if you are indeed grieving, Please know you don't have to feel alone in your grief, but reach out. As a coach, I'm more than happy to chat with you on how coaching can both support you in your chaos and pain without forcing you to endure your grief-stricken world. You can contact me at anne at understandinggrief.com or you can visit my website at understandinggrief. Bye, ma'am. Bye-bye for now.